There has been so much violence and heartbreak in America after multiple mass shootings have ripped families and communities apart. One after the other, the latest coming with barely enough time to process the last. The drumbeat for change growing louder. ABC News is looking into the personal damage and trauma these attacks have caused and what victims are saying needs to be done. I'm Michelle Franzen. We begin with a Robb Elementary School teacher who tried to protect his students in Uvalde. While he survived, his students did not. He shared the guilt and grief he lives with today with ABC's Amy Robach. I said, if I die, don't let it be in vain. This morning, Arnulfo Reyes, the fourth grade teacher in room 111 at Robb Elementary School, telling his story for the first time as he recovers in the hospital from two gunshot wounds hit during the horrific massacre that took 19 students and two teachers' lives. It was our typical morning and, um, you know, we ate breakfast together. It was going to be a good day because it was going to be our day of awards. And some kids in my class said that hadn't gotten an award you know, all year, we're going to get an award that day. Reyes says the children were enjoying the end-of-the-year celebration, and while some students went home after the ceremony, 11 from his class stayed behind. They were watching a movie when all of a sudden gunfire rang out. The kids started asking out loud, uh, Mr. Reyes, what is going on? And I said, I don't know what's going on, um, but let's go ahead and get under the table. Uh, get under the table and act like you're asleep. Um, as they were doing that, and I was gathering them under the table and told them to act like they were going to sleep, is about the time when I turned around and saw him standing there. The gunman entering classroom 112 at 11.33 a.m., then making his way into 111 through a connecting door, opening fire. Reyes shot twice, a bullet hitting him in the arm and lung, and a separate one striking his back the 17-year teaching veteran hitting the ground. I told myself, I told my kids to act like I'm there asleep, so I'm going to act like I'm asleep also. And I prayed and prayed that I would not hear none of my students talk. Did you, you, you thought you were going to die? Yes, ma'am. Then while the gunman was still in the classroom, Reyes hearing police nearby, According to law enforcement, seven officers were in the building by 11.35 a.m. They took gunfire and retreated. Reyes says a child in the connecting classroom, 112, called out for help. One of the students from the next door classroom um, was saying, Officer, we're in here. We're in here. And then, uh, but they had already left. And then... Um, he got up from, from my, behind my desk and he walked over there and he shot over there again. The gunman going back into room 112 and firing more shots. At 11.58 a.m., children from other classrooms seen evacuating the school. At 12.03 p.m., a child from room 112 calling 911, telling dispatch where she was. By this point, 19 officers were inside the building, but no one went in. At 12.10, 1213 and 1216, more 911 calls. Is there anybody inside of the building? Child is advising he is in the room full of victims. Full of victims at this moment. Parents outside begging for police to save the children. You know that there are kids, right? They're little kids. They don't know how to defend themselves. You said you were praying. Do you remember what you were praying for? What you were 
saying in your prayers? I prayed the Lord's Prayer. I prayed my Hail Mary. Reyes says eventually he heard officers come back, telling the gunmen through the door they want him to come out to talk, that they don't want to hurt anybody, but then silence again. More 911 calls, including from Reyes's classroom, but it isn't until 12.50 p.m., one hour and 17 minutes after the gunman entered the classrooms, that Border Patrol busts in, killing the shooter. After that, it was just bullets everywhere, and then I just remember Border Patrol saying, um, get up, get up, and I couldn't get up. Did you feel abandoned in that moment by police, by the people who are supposed to protect you? Absolutely. After everything, I get more angry because you have a bulletproof vest. I had nothing. I had nothing. You're supposed to protect and serve. There is no excuse for their actions. And I will never forgive them. I will never forgive them. How many students were in your classroom when the shooter came in? 11 students. So the shooter killed every single student in your classroom. Yes, ma'am. That's when I got you thinking, you know, this family lost one. This family lost one. I lost 11 that day. And I just went to my parents and I'm sorry. I tried my best. Of what I was told to do. Please don't be angry with me. Reyes says no training could have prepared them for this. Even though the school had extensive protocols, he says laws have to change. It all happened too fast. Training, no training, all kinds of training. Nothing sets you ready, gets you ready for this. We trained our kids to sit under the table. And that's what I thought of, you know, at the time. But we set them up to be like ducks. You can give us all the training you want, but it's, uh, gun laws have to change. It won't never change unless they change the, the laws. Reyes says he doesn't think he can ever return to a classroom, but he's making it his mission to honor the lives of his students and two of his fellow teachers. The only thing that I know that I will not let these children and my coworkers die in vain. Absolutely, I will not. I will go anywhere to the end of the world to not let my students die in vain. They didn't deserve this. Nobody in this world deserves this kind of pain. No mother, nobody deserves this. I will go to the end of the world to make sure things get changed. That's just one of the many horrific experiences from inside the elementary school that day. Inside the hospital, pediatrician Dr. Cecilia Morillo treated some of the children who were attacked. She spoke with ABC's Maria Villarreal about the grim experience. What was it like for you when you ended up at the hospital that day? It was pretty chaotic. There was a lot of security. Um, and um, of course, there were a lot of uh, frantic people. It was, uh, it was kind of difficult to find someone, like a, a point of contact. But when I did, 
it seemed like there was a lot of uh, a lot of hands on deck essentially and um, I was given an assignment to care for one child and um, I felt like uh, there was plenty of people doing a lot of different things and I did I just did what I could to help. What was that time like with that child for you? What was the most important thing for you to do when you were with that child? I had to administer psychological first aid and that was by far the most important thing I think I did that day. What does that mean? So it's uh, in the moment kind of like when you have a cut you you do um, you know you clean and you bandage um, the first thing I did was I tried to ground um, the fear and um, bring um, bring the patient back to um, breathing and being in the moment and um, reassuring them that they were safe and so um, because there were so many people in and out and going going here and there and and everything um, I stayed um, at bedside and helped explain everything that we were doing um, at, at every step at least for a while before I was reassigned um, what do you think that meant to him or her I don't know if there's an appreciation right now because it's so so fresh but I'm hoping I maybe put a foothold that other providers can build on and maybe make their lives a little bit easier. What was that moment like for you? I mean I would imagine you guys go for hours on end either treating patients or waiting or you know just kind of just trying to calm the situation so when you stop and take a moment how did it start to sink in for you? It started to sink in when I could look around and see the other um, uh, the other healthcare workers. It was all kind of like we were all kind of getting that like this really happened. Like this realization was kind of slowly building up in everybody, and we were uh, we were sharing like um, what what they had heard, what they had seen, um, and who was there trying to find their child, things like that. And so it was just as as when the dust was settling and everyone was just realizing this had happened, it was just a vicious cycle of being sick to my stomach, being angry, being, just being so sad and, and just feeling like, here we go again. And I know this feeling, I've, I've felt this feeling before and it feels just as awful as it did when it happened in El Paso, as it does here. I felt like my home in El Paso and my home here in Uvalde have both been terrorized. And I, it just, it feels like the foundation has kind of just been taken away. And so myself and my patients and, and my, my, my staff and everybody here is just trying to get a grip and find normalcy again. And the great thing is that everyone has been really supportive of each other. We've been organizing donations and, and um, meals and yeah. things like that. And so I feel like the boots on the ground are the people taking care of each other. 
and that's what neighbors do. Neighbors take care of one another and take care of families. And I think that will never go away. The, the closeness of a community um, was already bonded before this happened. And you, you mentioned anger, though. Mm -hmm. And I know that there is definitely sadness. I can hear it. But the anger, why? Where does the anger come from? The anger comes from knowing that this, this is completely preventable. The anger comes from knowing that this doesn't need to happen. This probably shouldn't have ever happened. The anger comes from knowing that now children are more likely to die by gun violence than by any other means. Angry that as a physician, I can, I can fight for my patients to be healthy, to get screenings, to get vaccinations, to grow up, to, be, to become adults. And now here is something that I can't give any recommendation for. I can't protect the children from. And that's, that, that inability to do something just makes it so frustrating. Thank you, Cecilia. Appreciate it. Thank you. As the nation reacts and tries to recover from multiple mass shootings, some have a much longer road of healing ahead. Garnell Whitfield Jr. lost his mother in the Buffalo Tops supermarket shooting. He testified on Capitol Hill about how his life has changed forevermore. ABC's Rachel Scott spoke with him one-on-one. -on -one. I know it's been a really long day, and I am just really grateful for all of your time. Um, um, I just want to ask you, what are you going to miss most about your mother, and what do you hope people know about her? Oh, I'm going to miss the way she loved me, the way she loved us. I'm going to miss her, her, you know, unconditional love. That's, that's what I'm going to miss the most. What message do you want to send to senators? Um, again, do your job. Um, do your job. You were sent here to do a job. You took an oath. Do your job. Um, you know, pass legislation, do whatever you need to do to protect the citizens of this country, which we are. Do your job, that's all. There have been more mass shootings than days in the year so far in 2022. These are some of the voices of those forever marked by gun violence in America. In their own words, I'm Michelle Franzen. You can hear more of our reporting on gun violence in America across all of ABC News. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.